1: Welcome into On the Beat Live. I'm your host, Tommy. Actually, we're sponsored by Johnny T shirt, JohnnyT shirt.com. Got some special ones for tonight. With On The Beat Live comes Gregory Hall because he runs the show. I've yet to figure out this live YouTube stuff, so I just let the young guys handle it. But the stars of the show, Mr. Tate Frazier, Mr. Brian Ives, uh, we're we're getting the band back together from a show we did earlier in the season, and we were just talking about it off air. So I'm going to bring you guys in right now. Let's get straight to it. Uh, The conversation we had months ago, can we believe the conversation we're about to have, Tate?
2: <laughs> well, Tommy, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, I—if uh, you had told me, you know, six months ago, like you're saying, um, that the North Carolina Tar Heels would be um, in the position that they are in currently, that they would have made the Final Four in New Orleans, that they would have, uh, you know, knocked out Coach K and said goodbye to the Duke era of Coach K, then I would have said. Man, that's a pretty sweet deal. What did, what did we do to get that? And I think uh, it was putting up with a decade of Coach K getting all the coverage. You know what I mean? <laughs> we we put up with a decade of that, and uh, it ended uh, beautifully uh, from our vantage point. So uh, I, I'm happy to be here, Tommy. Brian,
1: jump in. Uh, I mean, we said a lot of mean things. Not <laughs> not too terribly long Truthful ago things, escape. though. True, truthful at the time. But it's just crazy how it flipped, right?
3: probably thought a lot more mean things than I said. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, if you told us before the season that UNC would make the Final Four, be like, maybe, like, we'd be surprised, but maybe. But how the whole thing played out was just ridiculous. Um, like, this team didn't just lose to Pittsburgh at home. They got annihilated by Pittsburgh at home. Pittsburgh didn't win another damn game, excuse me. They didn't win another game the whole year. Like, I'm not 100% sure they have a full, like, a roster right now. Pittsburgh is, like, they – I mean, and to say not only that this team would go to the national championship, beat Duke twice. I mean, I think that Duke line was one of the biggest underdogs UNC's been against Duke, I think since 2010, when that game that didn't happen – I was on spring break, so therefore it didn't exist. Uh, the second game in 2010, this was the biggest underdog UNC's been against Duke since then. So, like, no one saw that coming. And then just how it all played out, like – we always, we talk about the Duke game in the final four, but like the games leading up to that were insane. Baylor game is one of the, is one of the craziest games in UNC tournament history. Yep. Uh, the UCLA game was an elite basketball game. UCLA was, pro- I'd argue the best team UNC played in the tournament, better than Duke. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and then St. Peter's, the story was ridiculous. So that was nice. It reminded me of uh, Tulsa with speaking of Bill Self in 2000, just, Oh, we ran into these guys in lead eight. That's nice. Um, but, like, the, how they got there is also just as ridiculous. And even though they lost a the national championship game, that was an insane – like, the whole the whole season, UNC's last month was a decade worth of moments. You know, it was just bizarre.
1: It, it, you nailed it right there. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking – and, Gregory, you can get in here. And, by the way, folks that are listening, this is like I'm the only non – former Inside Carolina intern in the room. I'm just I'm just a guy that called 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and complained about my subscription. <laughs> These guys actually have put in work, and now they're famous. Um, Gregory, you're on your way, but get in here. Because my fear for, for people like you, Gregory, and my son to at Carolina now and all is like, this isn't Carolina basketball. This is not what it's supposed to be like. You're not going to experience what we all got to experience at some point and, Gregory, and then the switch flipped. And I don't know if there was a bigger game, non-championship game. And I could make the argument that that Duke Final Four game a couple weeks ago was as big as any of the national championships. That happened. Gregory, your thoughts on all of this stuff before we dig down into the nuts and bolts. I think the craziest part of that is we said the exact same thing after
4: Carolina beat Duke and Cameron. We were like, this is the biggest non-championship win in program history arguably like it's up there and then less than i guess maybe it was a month later right because that game was march 5th and then the final four game was what april 2nd or something like that all of a sudden it's it's one-upped it and it's carolina duke again and i've said this before but um my friend who's a senior at carolina taught like when we had these guys on the show we're just talking with him about the mediocrity of UNC basketball and the football team let down and all of that. And he was like, yeah, campus isn't a lot of fun. Like sports is like, they exist, but like there's no excitement around it. And then it changed like that. Um, so as far, as far as what the students got able to feel it I wasn't on campus in 16. So I have no idea what being on campus feels like for losing a national championship. I've only ever been on campus in 17 when they won the national championship. Um, so a I brag. can't speak to
1: sixteen. Yeah. Humble brag there. Yeah,
3: am I the only, I get, I the only I one to 09. see Natty? I got '09, but I booked in that with '08 and 2010. So you know,
2: okay.
3: I, I've seen pain. Tate probably didn't see any pain. I
2: pain. had 20. I had 2012, my freshman year. That was right. that's that pain. Was cool. But I got the scoop because uh, you know James Michael was like Kindle's not playing, and I was yes. Like, hey, I have a scoop, Greg. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what he's when, not playing i still think he's playing oh man.
3: it appears he broke his wrist greg i got the scoop <laughs> yeah
1: terrible
2: terrible times
1: terrible times look so let me ask you guys you you guys are more on the national side of it tate you can start um you know carolina wasn't relevant but now they are it is does it take a, a national title run is it that simple or is there more to this that's going on for hubert davis
2: Well, I mean, I think that Carolina does, you know, itself no, no help when it comes to the PR, right? I mean, a lot of this in college basketball is PR at some level. Duke is amazing at it. I mean, look at the, if you keep up with Duke, if you follow their accounts, you would think that they have not played North Carolina and they won the national championship and that they have, uh, you know, the most five-star recruits to ever come in. I mean, You have to almost live in these, you know, bubbles of sorts when it comes to like this erratic fandom. But I think as Carolina fans, we have an expectation, right, of Carolina basketball to be played a certain way and to, you know, excel at a certain level. And that's why the frustration was all coming in, because not only did it, you know, was it not working at first, it was, you know, it didn't even resemble Carolina basketball. You know, there was no secondary break. I mean, there was a lot of things that you're like, what? What is going on here? Um, but I think the one thing that never wavered was Hubert Davis, the message of the Carolina Way. He never, he never broke, and he kept us talking about the national championship in New Orleans. And a lot of us, I mean myself included, in December, I'm like, I, I don't need to hear about the the national championship at, at this juncture, right? I mean, this is crazy. But he believed, and they finally bought into what he was, you know, preaching, which was Carolina basketball and you know, we all have a reverence for it. I I feel like it's like church, you know, to me at some level, Carolina basketball. I mean, it's, it's something that I, I, it's familiar to me. It's something that brings my whole family together. So Hubert Davis is the same way. It is the whole Carolina family. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the whole journey of it all to get to this position for Carolina to be back relevant in the conversation. I mean, I was a Carolina personality, and when I would bring up Carolina, I just get eye rolls, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Titus on our show is like – This year, we're not talking about Carolina. There's no point. You know what I mean? And then we we jokingly, sarcastically, ironically, whatever you want to call it, did the ACC update every single week. And I jokingly said that Carolina was not as far back as you may think because uh, the PR of Duke would make you think that they played in the WCC and they were Gonzaga. And, you know, every other team in the ACC was absolute trash. I mean, that was the way that it was marketed. So... From the national perspective, they were, you know, the Duke fans that convinced everyone Carolina's little brother uh, that they, they are irrelevant to the conversation. Armando Baycott sucks. Wake Forest is even better than them. They're on the bubble. All this stuff, you know, that that was the national conversation, and you know, to to the point where you're like, I don't even feel like arguing this because it kind of is what it is. And uh, and then all of a sudden, it just flipped on its head, and now, I mean, Mark Titus is wearing a Carolina. Oh uh, no! The, uh, profes- the professional podcasters' hes wearing an Ed Coda jersey at the Final Four. I mean, if you had told me that—that's. Was- <laughs> <laughs> I, I started I heard-
1: to steal Titus's uh,
2: jersey.
3: Ed Coda, so it must have been a good point.
2: You yeah, cut I mean, out, Tate. That's guys, what. Can you guys? Can you guys hear me now? Am bad? You bad. All right. right. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Mark Titus is wearing a North Carolina jersey, that just goes to show how much we became the team of the zeitgeist. And, you know, you got all, you know, the big cats of the world that are like all in North Carolina, Barry and Coach K and all this stuff. I mean, it became like this national conversation of good versus evil, which is what we all have kind of bought into if you were a Carolina basketball fan. And we got to see it on the national stage and... uh it was great. And it ended as, as I had dreamed it would, you know what I mean? Like that was the best case scenario for all of it to end, you know, the, the, the reign of terror that has been, you know, most of my life with coach K it finally I, came to an end.
3: I too dreamed of losing a 16 point lead in the national championship. game. Yeah. I mean, it's that yeah, dream I was ended. about to say. Wait a second.
5: <laughs> so I mean,
2: look, <laughs> Look, we 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 knew that that, that there was not going to be always rainbows and sunshine, you know what I mean? We we had to have some stormy days on the other side. But I, but it was a deal with the devil, so that's what it was.
3: I, I think Tate brought up a good point about um and this might get me some hate, but on the idea of Duke as this PR behemoth. Whether Carolina fans like it or not, they are the most popular and the biggest brand in the sport. Um how they became about that, I don't know. You can argue that. But they have 2 million followers on Twitter. No other sports team has a million in college sports. Not Alabama football, not Notre Dame football, not Carolina basketball, nobody. They, they have done a wonderful job of putting themselves in the conscience of young people, obviously of recruits. So it's not, there's not some conspiracy to promote Duke. You know, they, they, they've they sort of built themselves into this. Yeah, um, yeah. And so when you're Carolina, when you're their rival, and their more successful rival that has been better than Duke, has more titles, has more Final Fours, more head-to-head wins, all that, I understand how that irritates Carolina fans. Because, like, listen, we've been better, and since Coach K came, we've been just as good. Five national titles, 50 wins, 50 wins, all that. So I get why that irritates fans a lot. But what this run did is remind people that, this is North Carolina basketball. This is not a Cinderella. I loved when Hubert Davis said this, no, we're not a Cinderella story. We're Hubert or North Carolina. We've been here more than any team ever. Yeah. Um, So I think that's, I think Carolina fans needed that for themselves to realize that don't worry about Duke. You don't need to obsess about Duke. You are North Carolina. Um, You are, you are on a good day, the biggest brand in the sport um, because of your accomplishment. So I think that that's what really helped, you know, propel and energize the fan base. As we, I remember I was on with you all before the Michigan game, and I said there was no juice with the program. Um, that win helped for a little bit, but this really provided the juice. We, I mean, we, North Carolina was America's team, which is the weirdest thing in the world because North Carolina has plenty of detractors. Um, but it was – North Carolina was back in the national consciousness for the first time in what? I mean, I'm not counting 2019, for the first time in five years, yeah. um, which is an eternity in North Carolina basketball years. So I think this year, more than anything, showed North Carolina and their fans and reminded them of who they are. So um, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me as far as, you know, the journey and 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 sort of the narrative around this team. And it's it's hard
4: to know, but if that 16-point thing doesn't 16-point failure whatever whatever you want to call it failure implosion whatever doesn't happen i
1: thought if jason capel's shot won that game (laughs) then carolina's win on april 2nd won the next championship it's that simple gregory you don't get it jason capel's shot i know what you're talking about but it's not what i'm talking about sorry the old guy will step
4: out um who knows if Armando Baycott today announces that he's coming back. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, and I know NIL plays a role in it. And yesterday on Coast to Coast, last night, Shrill talked all about the implications of NIL and the things that the the players have in the works. I mean, they're they're on an Iron 5 NIL barnstorming <laughs> tour right now. Like, they're in Gastonia, North Carolina, <laughs> home of Greg Barnes. Is he post- there? No, he's in Keyboard. Oh. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> the, the, being he's, uh, he's not, which is
2: why
4: he's not with us. He stood us up for the the keys, but who knows if argue if the uh, deserving ACC Player of the Year would be returning to North Carolina next year in Chapel Hill with it with a chance to run it back, right? And it's 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 pretty crazy. And UNC being America's team, like the anybody but Carolina didn't exist the last two months. I I, I don't think that'll be the thing. The same case next year. I think anybody but Carolina will be back considering the favoritism that they'll have pretty early on and deservedly so.
3: And isn't this what we've Carolina fans have wanted? Like you want that attention. You've been begging for it. Do, why does Duke get all this attention? They get all the hoopla. Well, that hoopla is uh, assuming things go based on what has been posted on the inside Carolina and premium message boards. Please subscribe if you'd like to know the inside scoop. If that happens, then North Carolina is going to be that team that gets all that attention. So this is what Carolina fans have wanted. This is what they've begged for. I mean, this is going to be it. Um, And I think it's so cool how a lot of the worst, or like not the worst moments, but like some heartbreaking moments in Carolina history have directly led to wonderful moments the next year. Um, You can go back to 81 with Al Wood. Um, He obviously wasn't on the team in 82, but 82, James Worthy led him back. Um, Certainly 91, what happened in the final four, you know, probably motivated to what happened in 93, certainly eight and 22 years later, 05, um, 08, 09 16, 17. So I, I think Carolina fans have that in their mind. I mean, obviously nothing's guaranteed, but it is cool to see how sort of close calls and heartbreak have led to me almost immediate success in this program system.
1: Let me, uh, let's, let's put these two Duke games into perspective for, for folks like you guys and, and Tate, I'll come to you first. Y'all talked about it a ton on your show. It was quite hilarious. Um, if folks haven't listened, go back and listen to the uh, Titus and Tate shows right after those Duke games. <clears throat> worth the price of admission. Even if you get to hear them free, you can, you can pay and it's still worth it. Tate, where, where do those two Duke games, which one do you rank higher? And mm-hmm. where do they reside in Carolina basketball history?
2: I mean, I I I mean as far as ranking wins over Duke, you know, in my life, I mean I think the Final Four game is number one. I mean, I think it maybe it's a little bit uh you know, tailored to the fact that I was in the building. I and the fact that, you know, it was shaded around the whole idea that Coach K will never coach again. I mean, I just uh I mean the the gravitas of the moment and witnessing it and you know we all have experienced so many carolina duke games in our lives and carolina has been up in so many carolina duke games and they have you know not come through in the end and coach Gay has left and we have felt that pain you know so many times and in that building in the final four I think that you know we were all waiting for the moment where it flipped and it became that kind of game and the fact that they persevered and this group especially persevered and won that game I mean I think that's you know number one um, for me when when I talk about Carolina Duke and I mean I think the the craziest part about it is that when you talk about Coach K now it does have you know, I saw people saying his legacy is tarnished, you know, like, shut up. I mean, obviously that's, that's not the case. He is going to go down as the greatest coach when you look at the resume, but it is amazing that his final lasting memory in the minds of the general basketball consciousness is that he was not able to get over his rival on the biggest stage. You know what I mean? And when you think about the Dean Smith part of it, where, the, the national, you know, public seems to have forgotten that everything that K does, he, that everyone loves, he kind of stole or mimicked from Dean Smith, you know, at some level. So, I mean, to, to have that kind of all come full, you know, 180 in front of the world on a national stage, having the world be able to enjoy a Carolina Duke game that is such a regional, local thing, you know, and it be, uh, you know, in a national space, I think that's number one to me. And then the the game at Cameron, I mean, that is like out of a a tragic, like Shakespearean, I don't even know what, I mean, what you would call that. I mean, (laughs) the staging of it all, the theater of it all, I mean... The, the fact that Coach K broke character. I mean, the fact that he had the unacceptable speech, you know what I mean? And, you know, look, 75-year-old Coach K, and I've said it on our show multiple times, he's not the Coach K that I that I talk about or that I envision in my head when I think of Coach K. You know, I mean, he's a grandpa now. He, he does all these great things. He's, you know, one of the, you know, whatever patrons of Durham, as, as they call him. Um, but at the end of the day, he does have that, that – a-hole for lack of a better term that's inside of him and for him to show it on that stage and for it to come from the competition you know what I mean um and one of the things I respect about Dean Smith is like he's such a great sport you know you could beat Dean Smith and he would beat you to your locker room to shake your hand um and you he know.
3: shook he shook Roy Williams can't hand after getting tossed out of the final four he shook wow. every single player's <laughs> hand uh yeah,
2: it, it, but but that's like to, to have those two moments to kind of, uh, you know, exemplify what we've all kind of, you know, yelled about and screamed or me personally screamed about for years. Um, I don't know if they're one, two, but I, I think the final four is number one. And, and, I, and the only way to even that out is if Duke plays us again in the final four and beats us. And, I mean, good luck letting that fate play out again in history. And uh, it'll never have the same gravitas, as I said, of the moment with Coach K. So I think that's number one for me. Brian, shot, Brian probably knows better, honestly. He probably has all the games and knows which one. But in my mind, recency bias, I think that's number one. What do you think, Brian? I, I cannot I, – I, I
1: agree with Tate. Being in the building and seeing it and feeling it, I mean, it was like – I often say, you know, the Geo punt return in the state game was a cathartic moment for yeah. Carolina fans. That was, at about whatever time it was, 11 o'clock, New Orleans time. Um I did when, not exist. It, it was uh, it was unbelievable. I, I mean
3: I, so I fun fact, I was at both of them. Um amazing. The Cameron one was different for me. I was in pure work mode. I was working, I was doing the post-game show. Um, so it didn't really hit me. I was like, wait, like I, you know, I'm sitting there in the truck, I'm watching their up, uh, you know, like five like three or four. I'm like, okay, it's cute. You know, I look, I look back and there's like two minutes and they're like up six. I'm like, mmm, like no, right? Like the the first time I believed they would win that game, I believe was when I think it was Armando blocked AJ Griffin on a after a steal on a fast break, and that's when I was like, oh, I got to change my whole show. Carolina's about to win this game. <laughs> yeah,
2: bro, <don't>, yeah. <laughs> my
3: entire rundown, like I had been preparing for this thing for like a week. Out, just out like, wait, what? Like, can we get a guess from UNC? Like, what? How do we we handle this? Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so that one, like, in a weird and this is kind of weird. We will see more of that game, yeah, like replays, stuff like that down the road. Simply, that's a purely rights thing because the NCAA doesn't allow anybody to show anything, it's like the Olympics. We will see more clips of that Coach K in Cameron game. you just will on ESPN and everything. Yeah, you'll see that that GIF. You'll see the you know you'll, you'll we'll see it more. So I think we'll remember that one more just we'll see it. But in terms of significance, Final Four is always going to take the cake. But I do think the one in Cameron will be more visible, and I kind of think the one in Cameron is maybe more gratifying, and the one in the Final Four is more relief. Yeah. Um, yeah. So That's because cool. like when you got to the Final Four, like we they everyone knew Carolina could win that game. No one. I mean. No one thought UNC was gonna win in Cameron. So that was like, whoa, like that's a gratifying upset. And then the other one you had the combination of I mean, UNC made the national championship game off that win. You know, it's a huge win, just so more significant. But the gratifying win, I think Cameron was uh for fans was more like that was awesome. Yeah.
1: The fact that you book in Coach K's career with losses um to Carolina.
2: <laughs> it's hilarious. After losing
4: by 20 earlier in the season, I think that makes it even more incredible. Like, they didn't look like they deserved to be on the same floor There's as that. no team. way
2: he lets us stand. I mean, it's I, so funny. I remember analysts
3: saying, like, about that first game, like, talking to people I work with about the game, like, oh, Carolina didn't play that bad. They just missed shots. I'm like, what are you talking about? They got d- annihilated. Like, what do you mean just missed shots? It was almost shots.
4: 30 at one point.
3: Like, you don't just miss shots and get down 33 to two or whatever it was. You get destroyed. <laughs> Uh, and UNC yeah. only had like four he was
2: like turnovers. He lottery pick for sure in that game. I mean, he was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah.
1: I was so, like, uh, I can't believe I didn't pick up tickets to go see this game. Like 30 seconds into the game, I was like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't spend that money to get into that game. It we should have
3: all known when Leakey made a three to start the game in the superdome
2: I'm like oh this might this might go well yeah i <laughs> i did my heart kind of just fluttered i was like dude we have a chance tonight <laughs> and then he missed like three straight terribly <laughs> terribly but, then he you
3: know. made a big one late but yeah and
2: we love him we love him so yeah.
3: uh
1: let's let's take it one step further and you'll listen to on the beat live inside carolina.com podcast Tate fraser brian eyes gregory hall and tommy ashley where do we put caleb love shot that's been a lot of people's discussion. Where's Caleb Love's shot? Uh, I'll start with you, Brian. I mean, you've watched a ton. I,
3: unfortunately for me, it's not above anything that led to a national championship. Um, it's not above Luke Mays. It's not above Michael Jordan's. Yeah. Um, it's not above Joe, my man uh, Joe Quig's three free throws in 1957. Shout out, Joe. Uh, I think it was Joe Quigg. Sorry if I messed that up. Um, so, like, I think I think you do have to look at the end result like what that shot led to that shot led to more of a positive because it was a negative for the other team than a positive because it led to a positive Carolina so that's where like a Luke May shot separates for me because Luke May doesn't make that shot Malik Monk's going for 15 in overtime and UNC's losing that game uh like like unless Dante Styles popped out as a 14 year old makes a three or something. But but like obviously Jordan shot won a championship game. Um so did Fred Brown's pass. But like, you know, those shots led to titles. Um, I think it's the biggest shot. Like I, I it's higher than like Rick Fox against Stan against Oklahoma, for example, which is the I think the only buzzer beater UNC's ever had in, in an NCAA tournament, I think. Um so it's higher than that. Um, so I'd say it's the best shot that didn't lead to a championship. So I'm in third, to be honest with you, Um, but I do not put it ahead of Michael Jordan or Luke May.
4: So it's bigger than Marcus Page's shot.
3: Yes. It's the same thing, but a little bit better because it did it lead to the Deuce
4: game. Departure.
3: Yeah. And Deuce win.
4: Departure. Yep.
3: Yeah. Like, yeah, Mark, unfortunately, Mark, I mean, you know, that's, I mean, that's the greatest shot in a losing game you'll ever see.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Tate? No, I agree. I think that's exactly it. I mean, I Marcus is the only one that you think, you know. It's, but it sucks that Marcus was literally followed by... Uh, you know, a bigger shot that Villanova fans love to remind us of every time that you bring up anything about you know North Carolina or Villanova. So, um, and love Chris Jenkins that he came for the ride in 2017. I think uh, it's above Isaiah Hicks's shot in 2017. Um, I know, I, I just wanted to say that for Ives. Uh, <laughs> Boy, but that was uh, a big shot. That was a big shot. Love it was a
3: layup. I mean Marvin Williams shot one, was big
2: too. Uh, it was beautiful. that wasn't a layup, man. That I mean. Was- he floated. I mean,
3: Caleb cool. Love shot took Moxie like <laughs> yeah. over a seven-footer. It wasn't a. Like a, fu- it, wasn't a t- it wasn't a follow like.
2: I I think it, it was, makes it better that it was, than it was Caleb, over Mark Williams too. You know what I mean? It like, was
3: pure. And people forget the shot to take the lead like with like maybe three minutes to go, where he just drove at Mark Williams, at Mark Williams, and just whooped it around him. Like yeah. he attacked Mark Williams in that in that late in the second half. Um which you know had some moments and then mark williams clanked rough last three minutes for mark williams future charlotte hornets rim protector but <laughs> like the two missed free thr- i mean the two missed free throws if, if if we were if this was a duke podcast like those are horrendously egregious two missed free throws by mark williams and trevor keels missed one um so rough rough last couple minutes mark williams but um yeah for me uh Caleb shots right up uh, above Marcus, but not on Luke May level.
2: Number three is perfect.
1: I'm good with that. I- I'll tell you, I-, I put the game itself um, behind the national championship games, even though 09 was a given. Um, so I might move it in front of that one. But uh, yeah,
3: yeah, if yeah. Villanova fans ever talk junk, just remind you of the 09 semis. That went w- real well for Villanova. <laughs> yeah, really. Or the 05 Sweet 16. <laughs> yeah. They claim, they claim- uh, Raymond Felton traveled. He did not. Yeah. Yeah
5: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals
6: on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
4: Interesting. you brought up 09, Armando Baycott coming back for his senior year, Tyler Hansborough came back for his senior year in 09, 23. Where does Carolina go from here? It's to everybody. Like, what? Like... Like, obviously you're still waiting on some decisions from some people, but if everyone comes back, Dawson Garcia, enter the transfer portal, Anthony Harris, into the transfer portal, Leaky and Caleb still have decisions to make. If they're back, what does next season look like? Is it Oh nine? Is the expectation that high?
1: What do you think guys? Hey, and let's, let's talk about this. Armando yeah. Baycott coming back. Cause that video he put out was something else. And, uh, <laughs> He he got the juices flowing for the Carolina fan
2: base. So so Tate, what are the expectations? Well, that was a good PR, uh, from Baycott. Baycott is like one of the best <laughs> branding people that Carolina basketball really has out there. And it seems like Sweetness transfers. Yeah, it's like a mom and pop operation. You know, it's like Baycott like out there on the front lines making it happen. So one kudos to him and shout out to him. I mean, He is saying everything that, you know, you want to hear as a Carolina basketball fan. He obviously, you know, buys and has bought into what Hubert Davis is putting down. Coach Davis is putting down. So I am really excited to see um, him have the opportunity to get the accolades that I think he rightly deserved this year. I think that he, you know, when we look back, I think it's obvious, in my opinion, that he should have been ACC player of the year. I mean, at the time, it was not. You know, something that was obvious, but when we reflect back and look at the number two overall ranking, I think you say, okay, that guy was getting double doubles every single night despite all the ups and downs and and was all in all a great player. So I'm excited to see him come back and get some of that, you know, first team all America preseason press. I think North Carolina is going to be preseason top five. I don't think they'll be number one, um, but I think with Baycock coming back, they get the top five bump because he's that important. 31 double-doubles. I mean, when you're in David Robinson territory, when you talk about, um, you know, and then you set a record yourself by having six straight double-doubles in the NCAA tournament, you're in rarefied air anyway that you know all the carolina record books you know that stuff was getting tweeted out today and you you look at how far away he is he's i think he's 10th on the rebounding list right now but he could catch tyler Hansbro, um which is insane when we think about tyler you know what i mean and watching tyler and you know tyler is one of those people that you're at the 12 minute mark and you look up and you're like he already has eight rebounds and 12 points what the hell how is that possible um I think Armando has the potential to have that kind of year next year. I don't want to put the pressure of them on an 9 type level. I don't think that um, Armando's coming off a national player of the year like Tyler was in 2008, obviously. So it's not the same level. But I expect Carolina to be in the conversation when people talk about preseason top five and potentially preseason number one if Caleb comes back and if Leaky comes back. Where you're at, Brian.
3: Yeah, I believe O9, I could be wrong on this, but I believe 9 is the last team in college basketball to be preseason number one and win the national title. Um so no, that's not gonna happen. And that shouldn't be the expectations. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but this team was an eight seed. Yeah. Like they, they didn't like
2: You're right, perspective there. Yeah. I
3: mean they were an eight seed. Um but so is but but UCLA last year was what, a ten seed or something, a seven seed, ten seed? 11 seed. 11 seed and they they played like a top 10 team all year and they were a top 10 team all year so um yes i can propel you to you know heights but i mean let's be real about what was on that 2019 um i mean danny green wayne ellington ty lawson best point guard northbound history uh i
1: agree i tyler, it
3: tyler hansborough best statistical player in northbound history um and so, like, it was just – it was different. Ed Davis, first-round pick. Um, Tyler Zeller off the bench, even though he didn't play much. Or he got hurt, I think, early in the season. There's Kentucky. But the talent that team is not going to be matched by next year's team. It just won't. Um, and so it's not fair to put those expectations on them. But, I mean, I think – I mean, I don't think a terrible comparison 17. 17. Um, 16 was probably a more talented team with Marcus um, Bryce. and Bryce. But – you know, 17 returned a lot of the key parts. It returned a point guard. That's so big in North Carolina, it's returning your point guard. Um, it returned an incredibly productive big man. Um, that gets lots of rebounds in Kennedy Meeks. It returned a four that um, scored, sometimes got rebounds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite stat is Isaiah Hicks never had 10 rebounds in a game in his career. Uh, but he let uh, Kennedy eat, man. <laughs> let Kennedy eat. Uh, and it returned a couple shooters, you know uh so i i mean i think that's a more apt comparison like a top five to ten team that can maybe get hot and get the right matchups on the title but no 09 no not fair 08 2008 was the best team in the country they flamed out the final four was the best team in the country and they returned everybody from the best team in the country you know aside from what brandon Wright was he still there was brandon Wright. 08 um so you know that's not happening this year but it's the it's the highest expectations UNC should have of a team since 2017 for sure.
4: Now this team think, is Roger? not returning who I what I think we argued and it's it's arguable across the board who was the most important and obviously Baycott, but Brady Manning might be number two, and he will not be in a UNC uniform next year. Second single second in single season school history in threes with 98. How do you replace that? And right. As of now, there is not an open scholarship. So as of now, this team is set with its 13 players and the transfer portal, although they're, they're keeping options open and, and things like that, there's not any like active communication and and things like that. And there's more details and scoops and things like that, but this team is set as of now, there's still decisions
1: to be made, but. Let me throw in the caveat. As of now means 8.39 p.m. on Wednesday, yes. April 13th. Yes, yeah. I could change. I mean, we could get an update
4: in five minutes, but um, that's not saying we're going to. I'm just talking about supposed how, to evergreen how content. <laughs> My bad. There is no off-season now. But There's no Brady Manic <laughs> coming back on this team, and you just mentioned that the 0-9 team, and the, the 17 team, sorry, repl- brought back some shooters. UNC is not bringing back its best shooter. So how, how does that? How do you replace that? Go, Brian.
3: You, I mean, I think one thing people fail, fail to forget is natural improvement of players. Um, think about the leap. I'm looking at RJ Davis. RJ Davis made from last year to this year. Um, he is a floor general and he can make shots. I mean, take another, not, not saying he's going to make as a quill of a jump, but he continues to get better. That'll help. Caleb, three point shooting is not an issue for Caleb. But if Caleb, as we saw in the tournament, can get downhill and get those two point buckets, it helps. He drastically improved, um, so I think you're looking at improvement from players. You're not going to that kind of make up for Manic because a Puff Johnson or a Dontre Styles is not going to be Brady Manic. Um, I know a lot of people. I a lot of people are going to hype up Puff this off because of that national title game. Um, I think that might be a little unfair to him. Uh, he still has a lot of physical growth. Um, if he's going to play a four in the ACC, he needs to, Jonas needs to get with him. Um, I don't know if y'all the one well, I think maybe sneaky, the most important play of the national title game was I think it was I don't I forget it was one of the free throws Duke had and Paolo just annihilated Puff on the box out and was about to get that ball and tie that game up. I think it was after Caleb made one of two. So I think it was Keels. Yeah. Keels missed a second, I think. And Paolo was about to get that rebound and put it back to tie the game and Caleb swooped in there the last second to get it. But Paulo had no issues moving Puff out of the way on the block. I mean, so mean, going to
4: have—that's a, a different time. I, of I know
3: I, I, Paulo's big, but like he's not like six eleven. You know, he's big, but he's but he's ten. Well, you know, one inch makes all the difference <laughs> you know, in the NBA. Uh, but like my point is, like he's going to need to get bigger to where he can box people out. Um, so I don't think it's fair to expect him to come out and and put up Brady Manic productivity. So I think it's going to take little incremental jumps by various players on the roster notably puff don Trez, and the two guards to really um sort of step up and we've and people also forget they're bringing in seth trimble who should provide some a little bit of scoring don't know what to expect from Jalen washing off injury but you know they're not not bringing in people as well so um i think just little incremental help from various various players
1: do we forget or, or are we downplaying the fact that Huber Davis was walking down the street and
2: found like a 10-pound golden nugget in Brady Manning? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Coach Davis, from what I hear, he's he's in the transfer portal. He, he's he's calling people. He's checking in on people. The staff's checking in on people. So that's good to see. I think that they're active and they they're trying to make sure that they let people know that they are active, even though, as Gregory said, there's technically no scholarships as of now. I think the answer is pretty easy. There's one man that's on the tour with the Iron Five right now, and he's not a part of the Iron Five. And his name is Puff Johnson. You know what I mean? He's on the tour. I think he's, uh, you know, he's he's learning the ropes of what it means to be a part of that group, that core group. And if those four guys come back, and they have Puff as their five, and you have a guy like Styles, and you know, as as I've just said, a guy like Seth Trimble who maybe can come off the bench and and create his own, you know, maybe make that second unit even more formidable and styles can step in when you need to and i i don't know who they're gonna look at if they do have a scholarship open up but i mean this efton reed kid i know they looked at before who was at lsu and he's from richmond and he's a seven footer and I would love if Carolina was able to find another big for Bay- behind Baycott, but not but a non-threatening big. You know what I mean? Like what UCLA did with Miles Johnson was perfect. Cody Riley was like, "I'm right-handed, you're left-handed. We play different. We, you know, we can we can sp- we can split minutes or whatever." I mean, I think they need to find like an actual big to put behind Baycott, if anything. And maybe they don't need to do that because, you know, Hubert seems to think that they, they can throw in bodies and, and they'll be
3: fine. So, so it's not a threatening thing. We don't need you to be too good. Just be, like, pretty good. Like, not yeah, too good. Though. We don't want too good of a player.
2: <laughs> yeah, we want solid. We don't <laughs> want Baycott to start thinking that he should start over you or something like I
3: that. I think you bring up a good point, though. They need – I mean, they can't do this five, six player thing again. They, uh, I, I think they need depth. Um, I think Styles provide. I think Puff will provide it, but that's. I think Trimble
4: could provide it.
3: I think Trimble provide it, but they they like uh, until the last two games with Baycott, Carolina was extremely lucky on the injury front this year. They didn't really have any injuries. Yes, they had Harris um, not available, and and uh, early in the season I know um, uh, Garcia got hurt, but from January on they I mean they got really lucky with all those guys playing all those minutes. No one significantly getting hurt, and that's a dangerous game to play. Um so that, well, it hurt I heard them
4: think, in the national championship game.
3: Sure, sure. That's what I am saying. Like, I mean, I mean, Brady Mannix on this tour and probably isn't sure if he's in Greensboro, Gastonia, Greenville. He got his the <laughs> head knocked off twice. But like, you know, I I think depth is gonna be important for this team because I don't think I think it's a dangerous it's a dangerous game to play, um, five or six. So I agree they're gonna someone whether it's styles, puff Johnson, or transfer, is going to have to or Kerwin. I mean, if Kerwin's back, like you know that's more offense off the bench if he could sort of get up to speed defensively up to Hubert's standards this is another player that I know I don't think I don't want people to give up on you
2: yeah I would love if Kerwin decided to to buy back in and, and... that's
3: a shooter like like you know uh, what was Brady's knock all season well he doesn't guard you know he doesn't guard well yeah but he's 6'10 and can make shots you know Kerwin's 6'5 you know he's perfectly Long. big enough um and obviously, we know even – I mean, he shot a decent percentage this year. What, he didn't fall off a total cliff. So, um, if he can sort of get up to snuff. And by the end of the year, Manic, like, yeah, he gave up buckets to Paolo, but he stood his ground against Aluma and Paolo. And, like, he made them make buckets. They weren't just, like, getting to the rim at will. He made them at least put some effort. So, I think wants another guy, if he's back, that could provide that sort of shooting spark.
1: My only beef with Manic is not putting McCormack on the line there at the end. He's got to make a 40% shooter or whatever he was, shoot free throws there at the very end of the national championship. So uh, in the span of a month, Carolina's back relevant. Um, What did we learn about Hubert Davis? Uh, I mean, the dude was right the entire (laughs) year, the stuff he preached. And we listened to it in November, December, quite frankly, going, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but he did.
2: Yeah, I, uh, man, I mean, look, when, you know, when Hubert Davis got hired, I called uh, BJ Armstrong, who I do a show with, and who I, you know, I consider my basketball confidant in this life, and I called him, and I said, what should I think about this, you know what I mean, because I didn't know what to think, because Hubert had been on staff for eight years, he didn't hear much out of him, the only thing I did hear about was like a couple times in the locker room in certain games, he had snapped, and everyone was like, oh wow okay like you know he's really locked in we didn't really know this you know what i mean but he's kind of like he moves in silence and uh he's a very affable guy he's a very likable guy and uh you know a nice guy right we joke on our show we have good guys and bad guys i mean he would he would be a nice guy was what most most people would say about coach davis but what bj said to me that that day in april last year when he got an announced uh, was that he had been around the two best coaches that he knew in basketball and had been in the huddles with them, and had soaked it all up, and he knew the game and loved the game and loved Carolina for real. And, uh, you know, Pat Riley was the one of the coaches, and the other one was obviously Coach Smith. So Hubert is, I think, he has made his own staple on what his version of Carolina basketball is, which is the way that he wants the game to be played, which is, you know, quote-unquote modernized, which, uh, you know, everyone is enjoying You know, his take on it. But at the same time, I think he has kept the Carolina tradition that we all love and we all recognize and we all. You know love being a part of and he he preaches it and he practices it and it resulted in you know a a great successful first year and it feels like it it was right you know what i mean it was right all along and i was happy for roy you know i mean roy is one of those guys that you know he is invested so much in carolina basketball and invested in so much in you know you know the coach smith passed the baton to him and he and he takes that very seriously and he takes pride in that. And when he passed baton to coach Davis, there was a lot of people I obviously everyone was like, wow, I, I didn't see this coming. I don't know how this is going to play out. And now you can really never doubt the guy, right? Like as we move forward, I mean, obviously we are fans and people are going to doubt and question the coach and think that they're better from our couches and our vantage point, because that's what we all do. But at the same time, this season could not have been going in one direction. And the fact that it flipped the other way. Now you almost have like, this is our, our, our sample size says, Coach Davis knows what he's doing, you know what I mean, which is a, a beautiful thing because there were so many people that were questioning him, questioning his you know, his character, questioning his ability to coach. And so there's still moments where I'm like, what is going on here? But it, he was figuring it out. It's his first year. We can't expect some guy to just jump in and immediately start swimming and, and, and looking and getting everything done correctly as we expect. And, uh, I mean, my big takeaway for Hubert Davis is I'm really happy for him I loved watching his press conferences. We, we Brian, and all of us, we, we've watched a lot of press conferences in our life, and they say this is mundane, boring BS, and we all kind of roll our eyes and move on. But when I heard Coach Davis talk about this team and talk about what it means to play for Carolina and talk about how he wanted these kids to experience what he experienced at Carolina, and that was his main driving force, it captivated you because you believed it and it was genuine. And I think that's what you want to have representing, you know, Carolina and representing your program. And I'm just so happy for him. And I I hope that he, um, get some time this summer, you know, before things ramp up again, and and just gets to soak it in a little bit because he deserves it. And uh he went through fire, and uh, and he came out the other side, and and uh, you you couldn't ask for anything else in your first year. It's hard to top that, you know, for someone that's going to start his first year at Duke. No matter how many five stars he gets to commit to him, is he a yep. true players coach? Is that as players coach as you get? I mean, what what else would he
3: be do? You see about? the shots Caleb Love takes. Yes, he yeah. player's coach. Yeah. He <laughs> was never once <laughs> looking
2: at the bench after <laughs> taking a shot, like, I'm going to get pulled out of this game. Because he's like, Coach Davis says, go for it.
3: <laughs> I see what I love is he went through the fire and I he had no idea he went through the fire. Like, <laughs> yeah. like. True. There was he literally no, has
4: no idea. No
3: he has no clue. That's like, the reaction of. I mean, he can have an idea, but like, he doesn't bother himself with that. Like, it's just as different. Roy didn't either, but you know, Roy is so, has been around the block or not Kansas or he knows what the deal was and that reaction was. Hubert is just like, he's in on that team. Um, I hope it doesn't exhaust him too much. Cause I can imagine that's pretty exhausting of being so all in for so long. Like he said, he hadn't had a chance to think about anything else since the day he was hired. Like, you know, like Roy got a few rounds in, I'm sure, you know, like, like it's, it's, so I just, I hope, He's he's able to at least reflect a little bit on what he accomplished this year, um, but as far as on the court, what have Carolina fans been begging for for years? Spacing and pick and roll, and well, timeouts. But statistically, timeouts make no, no difference. Ducks, I see. Timeouts make no difference; they're a waste of time. But because we got places to be. But uh, coming from
4: a. It's coming from a producer, well,
3: if, if at, at producing studio shows, I like timeouts because that shrinks the amount of TV I have to do on the on the back side of the games. But, uh, but as far as they wanted pick and rolls and they wanted spacing, and North Carolina beat Duke twice this year because of pick and rolls. They brought Mark Williams out, they put him in a pick and roll, and they just ate him up. Um, and so like his coaching beat Duke twice, and it's something like you know, the amount of pick and rolls they ran with Caleb and especially RJ were just difference makers. Um and so I think X's and O's Carolina fans had to have loved that. And then just the I loved like I'm sure we've heard this answer. I loved when he kept saying over and over like, I'm so happy these guys to get to experience this and get to make their memories. Um because someone like Baycott who's been there three years never like those are two rough years. Um leaky was on a 2019 team, but he'd been through some stuff. So, like, I love that he was emphasizing and really, really wanted those guys to experience what Carolina basketball is all about. Because, you know, that's why you come to UNC. So, um, yep. I yeah, as Tate said, awesome for him, and I think awesome for Carolina fans to see what he was all about. And the Hornets are getting annihilated.
2: <laughs> yeah, <so> I just <laughs> looked at the score.
1: <laughs> What's crazy is how many times did we see Carolina get worn out on pick and rolls? over the last couple of years before this year, mm-hmm. and then Carolina's yep. doing it. That, Too that big, was,
3: man. It's hard.
1: That was the cool thing, watching Hubert Davis um, implement that and Carolina do what had been done to them repeatedly. Gregory, give me something, and then we're getting out of here. It's about 8.53 on the East Coast. Tate and Brian have been great to join us for almost an hour. What you got, Gregory? Brian, Put you, you
4: mentioned spot. you mentioned the importance of a returning point guard. And when you, when you go through this past season of who made what improvements, obviously Armando doing what he did at that level, you're not going to predict he's going to finish with 31 double-doubles. So that's one. Um, Caleb being able to make those shots that he make and keeping his confidence high, and he still showed some inconsistencies from year one, but he made a significant leap. Leaky black was extremely healthy for the first time. And we saw what he was able to do defensively. Right. And Roy told Dewey that it, it, he's finally healthy. Like that's how he's able, like Roy always knew that Leaky was capable of this kind of stuff. So that's number three, the Brady manic improvements is number four, but I think one of the most important improvements and what we saw with the evolution of this team in the last two months was RJ Davis, his ability to do what he did as far as getting downhill finishing but also dishing scoring when he needed to like his 30 points against baylor they they lose that game if he scores 27 points for, i mean technically he kept them in the
3: first half against Duke. exactly kept staying the game
4: how does he get better next year because he made that freshman sophomore leap but as far as guys improving to replace brady what does the point guard situation look like? Because I guarantee you, if Caleb comes back, some of the feedback he's going to get from the NBA is point guards probably your position in the NBA. So what what is what do you guys think is obviously for you two tape? What do you guys think that dynamic looks like next year? What does RJ need to improve on? And how does the the two ball handler stuff go again after they saw what was in, what was beneficial the last two months?
2: I mean, I think you, I mean, to win now, you need to have two primary ball handlers, really. So, I mean, I, I like, I mean, look what Baylor did. They had three. So, they had three, basically, point guards. Um, and when you press them and you put them in any pressure situation, they were able to break the break the press and no problem. So, I love the idea of Caleb coming back. RJ is, there's no doubt, he's undisputed a Carolina point guard. Put him in the fraternity. Um, he gets it. He knows how to play the position. I love I love watching RJ play point guard. And I think Hubert empowering him from that position was, you know, huge for this season. And I think Caleb, you're right about the NBA guys telling Caleb that he needs to play point guard, but Playing off the ball and learning how to impact a game without having the ball in your hands is going to be much more valuable at the next level as much as nobody wants to hear that. I mean, Jay Nivey, that's one of the things that all these NBA scouts love about him is because he knows how to play off the ball. And Matt Painter was like, I'm not going to give you the ball, which maybe to his own detriment at times, right? But Hubert has found a great mix and match with them. I think that Caleb at times late in games when you need someone to go ISO and get a big shot as we've seen against Duke and against UCLA, Give him the ball and let him go. But for the rest of the game, let RJ manage it. Let let RJ get people in the right spots. Let RJ get Mondo his touches. Let it. I mean, he just does everything that he knows that he's supposed to do in a game. And it doesn't hurt that the guy can score at three levels. I mean, the one thing that I think RJ can improve on is finishing at the basket, but he's a small guy. So, I mean... If I were him, I would just be cranking Kyrie tape because I, I don't know how the guy finishes around people. I really don't. I, I The only reason I watch Kyrie Irving play is to figure out how people don't block a shot. And if I was R.J. Davis and I was a New York point guard tough like that, I would just watch that tape and try to figure it out. And if he can get his left hand, um, and he already has it to a certain level, but if he can start finishing with that left hand consistently um, with his offhand and be able to create separation from bigs, I mean, you have a guy between him and Caleb that if we need to get a shot and we need to get a bucket, you can't find two better guards in the country, in my opinion. So I, I think if they both come back, um, they both should have a really good year if they stay healthy.
3: Yeah, and one way you get better finishing at the rim is you're a threat to pass when you get in there. I think you can improve on sort of dishing off and finding the open man underneath. I thought Caleb was a little better at that Yeah, when he would get to the rim. Um, we saw it against Clemson the game when he played a manic. We saw it, um, in the capper. I mean, it was easy, easy pass, but against Duke with a little tongue out, um, play to Baycott. Wow. Uh, I think RJ can be a little bit interior passer. I think that's where he can improve and that'll open things up for him to finish. Yeah. He's always gonna have limitations finishing. Cause he's, you know, he's small and he's not crazy athletic. Uh, but you know, I, I, I don't think, um, there's any huge huge detriment to a game. I think he's a solid defender. He had 10 rebounds, I think, in the national championship game. Um, huh. So uh, I don't think there's a huge detriment to a game. Just a full offseason of running point in North Carolina um, is is good because he the the people talk about his shooting and his shot creation. His biggest best attribute down the stretch was the ability to control the pace of the game. Yep. He controlled the game. Um, he's like, you want to go fast? We'll go fast. We're to go slow. We'll go slow. Like he we would dri- it,
2: Let's get it. I'll get a quick yeah. bucket. Yeah. Like
3: aim. what I remember, Steve Nash was known for is He would dribble under the rim. Be Like I can't get anything. I keep going. He wouldn't force some nonsense. And RJ was very patient with what he wanted. He wouldn't do anything until he found it. And then he could be great. A shot one-on-one a New York guard. So, um, I think, I mean, I just think, I don't think he has any glaring weakness. Um, so I just think just small improvements in various areas.
1: Let me ask the question about the guy we started with and that's Baycott. I mean, he's got a funky shot. He probably could retool that and have an actual jumper, but, uh, what's he got to do to improve? I mean, it's tough to improve on 31 double doubles, but (laughs) you don't stay the same. You either get better or you get worse. What's he do to get better?
2: Well, I think he's hungry, which is great. I mean, this isn't a Joel Berry, Theo Pinson 2018 season, you know what I mean, where it was almost like they had their own farewell tour, uh, which was fun (laughs) to watch. Um, But I I think Baycott is, I mean, yeah, you you said it. I mean, if he can stretch out to, you know, at least the free throw line consistently and maybe, you know, top of the key three, that's something that he can hit if need be. But he doesn't need to focus too much on that I mean keep doing what you're doing which is controlling the glass and I promise you at the next the next level someone will give you a shot if you can rebound like that and he has an instinct for it he has a natural gift for it he has the the tools to do it um the only thing that limits him is the fact that he's you know 6'10 and you know his feet aren't as quick and maybe you know he can work on some agility stuff if anything but at the end of the day the guy's a dominant big in college basketball He's going to go down as one of the best bigs in Carolina history if he continues on this I mean he already he already is but if he continues and does what he does, is expected to do next year you can only imagine um, what he's talked about. So I don't know. I mean I'm of the I'm so far annoyed with the NBA and all of their you know talk about you got to do this, you got to do that when in reality they don't know what they're doing half the time anyway and, and they're bringing guys up and, and don't know how to fit them in and so Clearly. Yeah, I mean but big guys <laughs> Fake out at the end of the day, just I mean, be yeah. yourself. Be be what's got you here. So I mean, rebound the basketball and let the rest come about. I mean, you know what I mean? Don't don't spend all offseason putting up videos of you shooting fadeaway threes. That would be my nightmare.
3: One <laughs> yeah. One thing I don't think like if you excel, if you were an elite in one area, you can find space playing pro basketball.
2: Yes. And especially.
3: he is an elite and he is an elite rebounder. Um so, I mean, he I could see him working his way in the NBA roster one day. But but I think uh, – give me a little Deion Thompson, little fadeaway eight-foot bank shot, yeah. something like that, where he doesn't have to go towards the rim every time. Some sort of put him on the back or, like, face up, quick little jumper. Um, and when he does take a jumper, it needs to be quicker because that thing took a day and a half to get off. Um, so, you know, quick little jumper off the glass, you know – Watch your Tim Duncan tape. Watch your D. I just said Deion Thompson, Tim Duncan, same sentence. Watch your Deion Thompson and Tim Duncan tape. Um, get those little short mid-range jumpers off the glass. I think that's something he could he could work on to sort of free him up a little bit. Um, and fouls. I mean, he, he especially next year. If there's no Manic, obviously. There's obviously no Garcia. There's not going to be uh, Jalen Washington's working back from injury. He is vital. Because <laughs> the second biggest player in the team is Puff Dontre Styles outside of Jalen Washington. Like, well,
4: technically Will Shaver, but he's not ready. Hey, Kyle, he needs to be on the floor.
3: God bless Will Shaver.
4: Yeah, God, uh,
3: but like, yeah, so he can't foul against the good teams. So, um, might need might need to take a couple defensive plays off. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't. I mean, just a short little jumper, and and he'll he'll be just fine. Now teams are gonna throw everything at him. Um, I saw, I think Paul being carded today, like ACC coaches are already going to work on their post defense starting tomorrow because I know Bacot's coming back and they were working on it this year, but, you know, nobody expected Baycott to be the best player in ACC this year. Um, so he'll be facing some different things next year, but, um, he's a smart guy, academic all ACC. He'll figure it out.
2: And, I mean, if they're double-teaming him, he can pass out of a double. Yes. Uh, I, yeah. I think that might actually be great if teams start doubling him in the post. That might actually open up things for Puff and Styles, to have open shots, build confidence, and then, you know, you're off to the races from there. I think Manic helped him with that a lot.
3: I think Manic helped him with that a lot because Manic – Manic – remember at the beginning of the season, I bet you all had these podcasts, like, Manic's a really good passer. He's the only one that moves the ball. Yada, yada, yada.
4: Yep.
3: The team learned. Like, he taught the team, essentially, how to move the ball, and Baycott was one of those. So um, I think I think that's a – that'll be a lasting legacy of Prairie Bird.
4: <laughs> Brian, you talked about fouls there. I'm just curious. I mean, Jay Billis goes on and on and on about the physicality of the game and how he hates that it's more like a wrestling match than anything. What are y'all's thoughts on the physicality of college basketball right now? Is it too much?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. You talked to Jay – like, I'll, everyone opines about the 80s. Oh, it was so physical, and, like, everyone, like, you know killed each other and jay's like no we weren't allowed to touch anybody like that's why the game was so good ralph Sampson was so good because you literally couldn't touch him and he was seven foot four just dropped the ball in the basket like and so he has a point like it's like the physicality is good because it like you know it's rough and tumble but it does make if you're not as skilled as these nba players it's going to make for some ugly basketball times yeah um so i do think they can free it up a little bit but at the end of the day the thing that makes the game look great is skill so like yeah, you can try to to police it and like you know you can't do the same with the post players you can't perimeter players but in the end of the end if you're in the end if you're good enough to make shots the game's gonna look nice you know if you're good enough to make the right pass the game's gonna look nice physicality are teams that usually aren't things that are overly physical are usually teams that aren't as skilled and they're just trying to muck it up as uh, uh copyright Titus and Tate uh, muck fest and so like you like those are the teams that aren't as skilled but if you're a skilled team like Physicality shouldn't really bother you. You just be better at basketball than them.
2: Yeah, Houston. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Houston wins a national title, you know, at the current rate of how we're playing games because they are the most physical team they are. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Houston wins in Houston next year, to be honest with you. That would be like if someone came up to me right now, it's like who's going to win the title next year? I would say Houston. And the reason is because of that physicality um and if they just can get one guard or one score like i mean they had sasser who got hurt but if they can get someone like they had with quentin grimes that can just get them a bucket when they need it i mean that team is really hard to outmatch and they have the best strength and conditioning program in the country and samson is you know i mean he, he's a great coach so uh, yeah, it's it's not great for the game, but also there are certain <laughs> programs that they they it helps them. You know what I mean? And that's why they're so successful. So a team like Houston, and, they can't exist without that physical.
3: And, and let's not get it twisted. Baycott's an incredibly physical player. That narrative motivated Baycott. Obviously, the team was soft. He's an incredibly he was, physical player. He was insulted uh, Manick, by it. Yeah, he should have been. He's always been a physical player. Like, he has been today, foot, step, step foot the set foot at Olympics. UNC. Yeah. Um, Manic was an incredibly physical player. He wasn't afraid to mix it up. And Caleb Love and RJ was on the floor half the time. So, like, I don't – that narrative was weird. I think it just comes with wearing baby blue or something. But, like, uh, they're incredible physical players. So they don't mind playing that style. So, if you're going to combine that physicality with Carolina's skill, um, I don't think that's a huge problem for them.
4: Next year is the Jordan year, boys.
3: Uh, yeah, but if they if they won do the, – wasn't the Duke game win number 23-23 all time? I think the national
1: championship would have been 23 23. Oh, good. So
3: to do against it was, Lafayette
1: or something. It was around there somewhere. Um, Tate, Central. Brian, Gregory, its it's been a pleasure to have you guys. You know, it's funny. We talked months ago and it's a very different show. It's crazy how sports work. Crazy how Hubert Davis was right. That's the, the motto of this story Hubert was
2: right. Tate predicted the ACC champion. <laughs> Hubert
3: knew, Tate. Hubert knew.
2: He knew. He knew all along. I mean, I, I'm just so happy he knew. I, I've never. People are like, "Don't you feel like an idiot?" I'm like, "Please, like, I, I would. I'll feel like an idiot every single day if Carolina continues to go to Final Fours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Absolutely, boys. It's been fun. It's been on
1: the beat live. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Take care of them. Uh, get you some inside Carolina swag too. If you like Tate Frazier, you get stuff sent to the West Coast.
2: Thank you, Michelle. You're the best. Hey, hey,
1: Brian, uh, Brian, Michelle, he's Brian sending a flare out. He needs some stuff, boys. It's been fun. Gregory, appreciate you doing it. We will talk again soon. We need a shout out, you know. This insight come on a podcast needs a shout out on the
2: Big Boy Pod. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll- I got you. I, I'll shout it out. I mean, my brother listens religiously to this, so he. This is actually, I think, the first time he's listened to me probably in months. So he he's like, oh, you're going on with Tommy. That that's perfect. I got to tune in. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I hopefully I'll be back again soon. Uh, we got good things to talk about these days, which is nice. We will. Uh, we will get
1: you both back on here as much as possible, Gregory. Appreciate it folks watching a lot of y'all in the chat appreciate all the questions we'll get at you next week thanks boys
6: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road any road the steeper the better